0: I want to introduce you to someone today. Um, Someone that you've heard of, but you may not be too familiar with. Um, This person is a country preacher. And no, I'm not talking about myself because I'm not from the country. Um, But he is a country preacher. And he didn't descend from nobility or royalty or some long priestly line. He's just an old country boy, probably poor. Nevertheless, God uses and calls those of ignoble birth to do great and mighty things. He uses the weak among us to do great things. And the person I want to introduce you to today, we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks, and that is the prophet Micah. I want to introduce you to Micah today. Micah's name Means who is like the Lord. Micah, who is like Jehovah, who is like the Lord. And in his book, and and by the way, he's called a minor prophet. Now, he's not called a minor prophet because he doesn't have anything to say that's major. No, no, he has a whole lot to say that's major. But he's called a minor prophet because compared to Isaiah, And Ezekiel and Jeremiah, what he wrote is not as large of a volume as what they wrote. So they would be called major prophets, whereas Micah and Jonah and Nahum and Obadiah, Habakkuk, they would be called minor prophets because what they had to say, they said it in less words than what the other long-winded preachers had to say some preachers I don't understand, they can preach a whole sermon in 15 minutes. That's my introduction. I don't understand how they can do that. (laughs) Nevertheless, this man whose name means who is like the Lord, who is like Jehovah, um, because in his writings, when he mentions this phraseology, uh, he says, who is like the Lord who forgives all of our iniquities? And he goes on to talk about how God casts our sins into the sea and how he pardons all of our iniquities. So when you think about who is like the Lord, who is like a God who forgives like our God, who releases us from bondage and from condemnation and from just penalty. Who is the God like this? There is no one like Jehovah who forgives. So when we think about God, Who is like the Lord? And so because he is able to forgive us freely, he calls us as his children, as we just sang, to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Because that is truly a hallmark, a trademark of God and one who follows God, and that is the ability to forgive. Who is like the Lord? This prophet came and he spoke the words of God. He was a prophet to Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom. As you may recall, once Solomon had relinquished the throne through death, Israel was split up into two nations, if you will. The southern kingdom, which is Judah, and the northern kingdom, which is Israel. Judah's capital was Jerusalem, and Israel's capital was Samaria. So two nations, and at times, they fought with each other in what you would call various civil wars. The people of God divided against one another, and that began in 931 B.C., But when Micah comes along as a mouthpiece of God, because that is what a prophet or a prophetess is, someone who speaks the oracles of God, who says things that people need to hear, even though it may not be what they want to hear. And many times prophets and prophetesses are in the minority as far as the people are concerned, because a lot of times people don't want to hear what a prophet has to say, but a prophet is spiritually in the majority because if God before you, Who can be against you? And so many times those prophets had to go and preach and God would give them foreheads like flint, yet hearts of flesh to stand up against various political and geographical powers in the world then. And so prophets, that was a a major office in the Old Testament. And this man prophesied the fall of Israel, which was the northern kingdom, and he prophesied the fall of Judah, uh, which is the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom fell in 722 B.C. to the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. But this man of God was primarily a prophet to Judah between 735 and 700 B.C. So for about 35 years, he's preaching a message. He's in the southern kingdom. But he has a whole lot to say about what's going to happen in the north. As a matter of fact, he is alive when the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians in 722. So he preaches their demise, their fall. And the northern kingdom fell because they had turned from God. And so God had to discipline them, and he did that by raising up the Assyrians to put God's people into captivity. And there's nothing like being in captivity to increase your prayer life and to produce repentance in your life. And so he was hoping that her sister, that is the southern kingdom, would learn from the northern kingdom concerning their idolatry and how they had to pay for turning away from God. But the southern kingdom didn't learn from her sister, and she fell as well somewhat 150 years later to Babylon, as I mentioned. So when he is preaching, he is a prophet. Listen to this of social justice, social justice. So as a church, we're gonna sit here for the next couple of weeks on Sundays and on Wednesdays. We're gonna talk about this justice journey and social awareness and how we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what he's called us to. So we're gonna understand even this morning what responsibility we have as God's people to make a difference in society to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And so we have a responsibility, as we'll see, to be like this prophet who was a prophet of social justice. Now, he preached against greed. He didn't get a lot of amens. He preached against corruption. He didn't get a lot of amens. He preached against oppression. He didn't get a lot of amens. He preached against hypocritical religiosity and he didn't get a whole lot of amens. But when you preach, you recognize that you have an audience of one and his name is Jehovah the Lord. And as long as he's amening, it doesn't matter whether the people amen or not or pick up stones to stone a prophet. That is the calling of a prophet to say what thus saith the Lord. And so when he preached, Uh, The people that he ministered to, the Israelites, those in the southern kingdom, very much like the northern kingdom, they were idolaters. They worshiped Baal and they worshiped Asherah, uh, which were Canaanite gods and goddesses, small g. And we see that in Micah chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. And then also the princes or the government officials, the Bible lets us know that they were corrupt. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and in verse 9, the princes, the officials, the politicians, they were corrupt. The priests, they took bribes, according to Micah chapter 3, verse 11, and Micah called them out. And then the prophets, they led the people astray in chapter 3, verse 5, and they also preached for profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. And so they forsook their prophetic office for prophetic or or profit and gain. So they could be bought off and they could say what the people wanted to hear as opposed to Micah who preached what they needed to hear and what God told him to say. And he wasn't swayed by silver or gold. He was swayed by the love and mercy and the calling of God. Because Micah says of himself in chapter 3 verse 8, After he talks about the people being idolaters, when he talks about the princes being corrupt, when he talks about the priests accepting bribes and the prophets leading people astray and even receiving uh, uh, dirty money, he says of himself in chapter 3 verse 8, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and of might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin." So he's standing up because God says, oh, if I could just have one person who could stand up before me in the gap, in the breach, I won't destroy the land because God can do great things with one person who's sold out. God can do great things with one person who yields and submits. They can go against the grain. They can stand up against the oppression because when God is with you, it doesn't matter who is against you. Micah said, I don't know about those prophets. I don't know about those princes. I don't know about those priests. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm full of the power of the spirit of the Lord and I'm full of justice and of might, and I'm going to declare to Jacob and to Israel what their transgressions are. My, my, my. So turn to Micah chapter 6, because I want to give you a little context concerning one of the verses that we just love to quote, we just love to talk about, and that is verse 8, where in the King James Version, it'll say, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Uh, I got convicted as I looked at that passage one day because I said, I really don't know the context around why it was said and really what it means. Because if I'm to bring proper application into 2016, I got to go back a few centuries before Christ to understand what was going on then and how it can apply even to what we're going through today because there's nothing new under the sun. But before I jump and try to apply it, let me first try to understand it and interpret it in its proper context. Because once we have understanding, then we'll know what to do like the sons of Issachar. The Bible says about the sons of Issachar, which was a tribe of Israel, that they understood the times and knew what to do. So let's understand the times in Micah's day and what they were called to do because it helps us understand the times in which we live in today and what we're called to do. Look at Micah chapter 6 verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James and it says, Hear now what the Lord says. The word Lord is spelled in all capitals, which is a way to let us know that this is Jehovah, this is Yahweh, this is the God of the covenant, the self-existing eternal God, the I am that I am. So listen to what the Lord says, arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Stop and pause. God says, I have a complaint against the nation. I need to contend with the nation. And a lot of this is a response to the fact that the nation had a lot of complaints against God. The nation was contending with God. Very much like during the time of the judges. When Gideon was called and he was in a cave threshing wheat in order to keep it from, I believe it was the Moabites. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and calls him a mighty, valiant warrior and he tells him, I need you to go and set God's people free. And Gideon begins to say, Well, where is the Lord? Because if God is God, why are we as his people suffering like this? And really, he's asking the wrong question because. The reason why they're suffering is because they've turned from God. And because they've turned from God, there are consequences for turning from God, especially when you read the Old Testament and you see the cyclical downward spiral of man's own actions and disobedience against God. So in Judges, there's this cycle that goes on and on. And so Gideon is like, where is God? But God could say, Gideon, where are my people? Because if you feel far from God, it wasn't God who moved. We moved. And so even in this case, Israel, who had this tendency to complain, not like us today, but Israel had this tendency to complain, not like us. But they had this way that when they were coming out of Egypt, they complained on the way to the land of promise. They saw God do miracle after miracle, yet they complained and murmured and complained. And God says, now, look, y'all been complaining against me 10 times. I done did this and that for you, and you're still murmuring. Now, in the Old Testament, and it's the same God of the old covenant and the new covenant, but he did express himself in different ways. And somebody better say, thank God for the new covenant, which is grace, because in the old covenant, yes, there's some grace, but there's a whole lot of judgment. And God would kill people for murmuring and complaining. We don't like to read and talk about that today, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has different methods, thank God, for the cross and the blood and the grace that we're under today because of Jesus. But in the Old Testament, he put people to death for complaining. Even Job complained against God when he went through what he went through. And God says, okay, you want to have a courtroom case with me? You, 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 your righteousness has turned into self-righteousness and you're like, why is this happening? If I could only contend with God, if I could only meet with God in a celestial courtroom, God says, okay, Job, I'm going to give you what you ask for. And he meets with Job and he appears to Job in a whirlwind and he begins to question Job saying, Job, where were you? When I did this and I hung the stars and the angels sang and I told Leviathan, uh, put a hook in his mouth. I told the oceans, this far you may come. And Job said, oh my God, he covered his mouth. He says, I should not have questioned God. Because it's one thing to ask God questions, but it's entirely different to question him. Who do we think we are to question God when we're just, uh, you know, we're going to turn into dust? I mean, who, who are we? We're fallen people to question God. And so, Job, yeah, you were righteous, but you became self-righteous. I have to confront you in your sin. And then he says, oh, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes see you, and I repent in sackcloth and ashes because I shouldn't have been questioning you. And so God says to Israel, in this case, I've got to complain against y'all. Y'all been complaining and murmuring, asking where I am, but here I am. I, I, I got a couple of questions for y'all. And he says in verse 3, and even in this, he's so merciful. Watch this God who's full of mercy. He says in verse 3, oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. So he's calling a witness to the stand. And he's like, what have I done to y'all? How have I wearied you? In other words, how have I gotten on y'all's last nerve? I'm passing the mic around now. Speak now or forever hold your peace. And it's a rhetorical question. He's not necessarily looking for an answer from the people. But as Micah is speaking these words to the audience that was there, he's speaking in the name of the Lord. And he's speaking saying that the Lord is saying, how have I wearied you? He goes on to say in verse 4, the one who's wearied you, look, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. Guess what? You were in bondage for 400 years and couldn't free yourself. I got you out of that. I showed my love and my mercy to y'all. And then he says, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So I gave you the right leaders at the right time to help bring you out of where you were. I gave you everything you needed. He's not even talking about when he's going to rain down the manna from heaven. He's not even going to talk about when he parted the Red Sea. He's just saying, man, I brought you out and I gave you the leaders that you needed to lead you out. Verse 5, oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. So we got to go back in the Old Testament now and we got to say, now, what was going on with Balak? Well, as the children of Israel in the book of Numbers were making their way towards the promised land, again, the Moabites, who happened to be a thorn in Israel's side, their king saw them, how they were numerous. They were spread out everywhere as a people. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to make you like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the heavens. So they were a numerically strong people. And so surrounding nations saw them, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the electric lights. They saw all of these people and am like, oh, Lord, they're here to take over. It's a whole lot of them. Just like tomorrow for your barbecue. You invite one person and they're going to bring a whole lot of people with them. And then they ain't going to bring no food. They might come in there with some cups. Man, I need you to bring some meat. There's a whole lot of y'all. Come on, I got to pass an offering plate around. But they looked out and they saw a whole bunch of people. And so Balak said, uh, we got to put a curse on them because he delved in witchcraft and divination. Again, they worship these false gods. And so he calls up a prophet in the land by the name of Balaam. And he says, Balaam, I need you to curse these folks. And Balaam said, now I can only say what God puts in my mouth. And he goes, and rather than cursing the people of God, he blesses the people of God, and he does it three times. And Balak is like, wait a minute, man, I hired you to curse them. And listen to what Balaam said. Balaam said, I cannot curse a people that's already blessed. No, it went right over your head. went right there went... You got to back that up. Back it up. I can't curse a people who's already blessed because through the Abrahamic covenant, which was a covenant of grace with God doing the work, working with a feeble man and a feeble wife, he started a nation through whom the Messiah would come to deliver every family on the face of the earth. It was a covenant of grace. And he says, I blessed you to be a blessing. I blessed you, Genesis 12, three, so that every family on the face of the earth will be blessed. And those who try to curse you, God says, I'll curse. But those who bless Israel, I will bless. And so when this man tried to curse Israel, he could not curse them because God's blessing overrode the curse. God's blessing was greater than the curse. So darkness had to yield and submit to the blessing of God upon the people of God. And I just want to let you know that as Christians, we are blessed. Yes, Israel was blessed in the city. Yes, Israel was blessed in the field. Yes, Israel was blessed to be the head and not the tail. But so is the church, Ephesians 1 3. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. So no Christian can be cursed by any force of darkness because the forces of darkness are not greater than the forces of light and the forces of God. I am blessed. Why am I blessed? Because on the cross, Christ became a curse so that I could become a blessing. He took my place so that I could get the favor of God on my life. And because of the favor of God, I cannot ever be categorically cursed as far as this world and the demonic realm is concerned. Because I'm blessed because I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm blessed because of the blood of Jesus. I'm blessed because of God. And so you can't curse who's already blessed. So God is saying to Israel, I'm just trying to recall, bring this to to your mind, who you are and what I've done on your behalf. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from bondage. I gave you the leaders you needed. I laid before you uh, blessings and not curses. And even when folks tried to curse you, they couldn't. All they could do was bless you. And then he closes out verse five by saying, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Acacia Grove is where Joshua before he crossed over the Jordan and took out uh, uh, and began to establish uh, the Israelites in the promised land. This place represents the beginning of the promised land. In other words, God says, I took you from the door of the promised land all the way into Gilgal, which is where Saul was anointed as king. And I took you into the promised land. So what do you have against me? I carried you out of Egypt and all the way into the promised land that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? In other words, God did all of that for me. In other words, our complaints have been silenced because of his goodness and his mercy and his grace that was demonstrated towards us. So I shut my mouth and I stopped complaining. Like we have to do with our children sometimes. So glad the children are in today. Because children sometimes have short memories of what the parents did for them yesterday and what they did at Christmas and for their birthday. So when they start complaining about, you never do this for me, you have to sometimes take them down memory lane and remind them of all that you've done for them so that their complaining can be silenced. If they got any sense, their complaining is going to silence. God took them down memory lane to silence them. So the people's response, Micah's response, okay, how do we respond? What what do you want from us, God? Verse 6, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? What do you think the answer is? No. No. He doesn't want the burnt offerings. Because if your heart isn't right, it doesn't matter how many cows you slay. He's not going to accept it. Psalm 51, David, he said, man, if you wanted burnt offerings, I would give that to you as a king. I can slay thousands upon thousands of animals. But that's not what you want. What you want is a broken and a contrite spirit. Uh So God doesn't want my religion. He wants me. Uh Now, this is something that has to get pounded over and over again into the heads of religious people. I don't want your religious sacrifices. I want you as a living sacrifice. Give me you, not what's in your hand. Give me you. You die to yourself rather than trying to kill an animal all the time. Give me you. Yeah, I know that. But I'm still trying to earn favor by works. No, no, I want you. I want. Then David says, once you get me, now I'll offer sacrifices on your altar. Now I'll give you things, but, but no, no. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? No. With calves a year old. What's the answer? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? What's the answer? 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. No. In other words, should I give you my children? Is that what you want, to redeem my sin? No, that's not what I want. Verse 6, he has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What, what, what does he want? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What do you want, God? Do you want all these sacrifices and these religious offerings? No, that's not what I want. I want you to do justly. I want you to love mercy. Not only receiving it, but giving it. Oh, I love to receive some mercy. But do I love giving it? Oh, like that song said, uh, there's a stretching when you have to give mercy. But that's how we grow. Because we see how unlike God we are in those moments when we don't want to give it but how much like him when we, become, we can become when we do give mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So for the next few weeks, we're just going to camp out right here. We're just going to camp out right here. What does God want? He wants us. Amen. And it's going to show up in how we do justice and how we love mercy and how we walk humbly with him. But today, let's just talk about justice. What does it mean? To do justly. If this is what he requires, what does it mean to do justly? Well, to do justly or to do justice means to do what is right and judicial towards all people, especially those who are poor and powerless. Here we go. We're about to talk about the stuff that a lot of us don't want to have when we come to church. I don't want to hear this when I come to church. Give me a nice message about heaven. Tell me about what Jesus died for me, how He died for me, and where He's taking me. Don't talk to me about the nasty hearing now, here and now, and how the gospel also penetrates this world through me. Just oh, I don't want to hear that when I come to church. I want to hear some little how uh, David fought the battle against Goliath and Joshua walked around the wall. Give me some of that good stuff. Don't you dare challenge me with this social stuff. Mm. But remember our mission statement, our vision statement. If you're in the right church, our vision is to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. What is God's diverse kingdom? Galatians 3.28, where there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. So we see race, class, and gender that we are all one in Christ. So we are one but not the same. But we can deal with racial issues. We can deal with class or social issues. And we can deal with gender issues. Because guess what? The world is dealing with it. The world is trying to figure out what to do with this transgender stuff. How come the church remains silent on these things? The world doesn't know what to do about race and immigration and all of those things. The church needs to speak up in the world. We have this light, we can't let it be under a bushel. We can't be public for Jesus in private the world needs a word they need an example and so in this church man this is what we're called to be about and we don't apologize for that so to do justice we we do what is right and judicial towards all people especially those who are poor and powerless now in your bibles look at chapter 6 verse 11 Because what was going on in Micah's day, as in every day, is that the rich exploit the poor. The rich exploit the poor. They oppress the poor. And the same thing was happening in his day. And it says in verse 11, shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? Stop. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about this. The the scales that differ, how one group of people, the scales weigh in their favor, another group of people, the scales don't weigh in their favor. People can have the same pedigree, the same qualifications, but if somebody's got their thumb on the scale, then that means things might not work out in your favor. And as we talk about celebrating our independence as a nation tomorrow, This nation has not always had balanced and equitable scales. Can I get a witness besides Randall? Amen. So America has had these tilted scales and certain people benefited from the tilt and other people suffered because of the tilt. And God says in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 that dishonest scales are an abomination to him. So when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance, evangelicals, conservatives, Republicans are quick to talk about how Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of homosexual sin, homosexuality. And there's truth to that. There is sin. There was a breakdown of God's plan for marriage and sexual uh, uh, procreation and all of that cohabitation that, that it was twisted and it became unnatural in Sodom. We'll talk about that another time. We talked about that before. But what we also don't understand is that the book of Ezekiel, that prophet lets us know another side of why God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was because they overlooked the poor and they took advantage of the uh, people who were disadvantaged, so God rained down fire and brimstone not only because of their immorality but also because of their uh, uh, concession to mistreat people, ordinary people. And so God saw the injustice, and he punished the nation. So as we are looking at the voting season, and some of us tend to be Fox folks. This is a diverse church. Some of us are CNN folks. Some of us are right-wing. Some of us are left-wing. Some of us are moderate. We're progressive. Whatever we are, we need to recognize that what we see is not all that there is that the, the, the picture is bigger than just trying to make it so simple and make it one issue when many times it's a multicolored, multifaceted situation and you got to vote as you are led and I got to vote as I am led but at the end of the day we trust that God is leading the nation no matter how upright or downtrodden the nation is. So yeah, 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 we're going to deal with some stuff. We're going to deal with some stuff on Wednesday nights and even Sunday mornings. These scales, because the next verse says, for her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So the rich people are exploiting the poor. The other night, uh, Paul Revere talked about how his father, growing up in Arkansas, uh, back in the uh, 30s and the 40s and the 50s, how his father, uh, he worked with real estate, and he was a land surveyor. And that there were people who understood that the African Americans who owned various farmlands and, and acreage, they didn't always understand how the rules were made and how the game was played. But the people in the offices understand how the game was played because they made the rules. And so a lot of times the black people out on the farms and in the country didn't know that they had certain property rights to have to pay. Until it was too late, and officials showed up at their home to seize their property. And so the tails, the scales were tilted. But what Paul's dad did was he took that information and he ran to the African-American community back in the 50s and the 60s. And this white man said to the black folks, y'all need to watch out because they're trying to take your land because of these property taxes. So y'all need to pay your taxes so they don't take the land. And of course, they didn't even know they had certain taxes to pay in at certain deadlines. And they thanked Paul's daddy for the information and they paid their taxes in order to keep the people from taking their land. That's how you become a difference maker in society. Until we can change those laws, we got to be changed people to help other folk to fight in the midst of a crooked and fallen and perverse generation. All right. Oh, we didn't come to church to hear that, but I'm so glad that Paul's daddy acted like the church. <laughs> My God! Oh, ho, ho. Pastor, move on, move on. I will and I shall. And it still happens today. Okay? Diverse church, we, we are long past the Kodak moment. I want to stand next to a white guy. I, I go to a multiracial church. Yes, sir. If we can't be real and hear about what burdens us, what frustrates us, what hurts us, we're playing church. No, we're the family of God. And first and foremost, our citizenship is in heaven. So we are related by the blood of Jesus, and that goes way past skin and culture and class. But Jesus not only saves my soul, but he cares about my whole, and that is where I am, W-H-O-L-E, all of me. And so I live in a fallen world, and man, I am susceptible to certain injustices here. And some of us are susceptible to certain privileges here but it's in community that we understand what's going on so we know when and how to stand up for our neighbors and stand up for our brothers and put a hand in here and put a hand in there in order to bring about change. Because we cannot and will not be the church that gazes at our belly button all of the time or puts our head in the ground like an ostrich and all the while things are happening locally, nationally, internationally where people are dying who don't have to die. Oh my God. So what does he expect? Listen to this strong time. What does God expect? God could care less about his people doing religious activities. He could care less. Next week, I'll show you some scriptures where God is like, if y'all come before me one more time with some of these lambs and some of this stuff, it's making me sick because I can't receive these offerings that I prescribe because your hearts are far from me. I don't want that stuff. I want you to get right with me. Then I'll take that stuff. But y'all are making me sick with all this religion. And there are a lot of churches I couldn't preach in this morning because I'm wearing shorts and some Air Force Ones. And there are people who struggle with, that's religion. Sometimes I do this to mess with the religious in our midst. Where's his robe? I'll wear that next week to help you out. I'll sweat up here like a rotisserie chicken. I'm like, oh, Lord. I'll sweat up here for you. But every now and then I throw this on because man doesn't, God doesn't look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And by the way, Jesus and the disciples didn't wear three-piece suits. I thought about wearing a hat, but I knew that would throw off a lot of y'all. Because when the word would be read, many times the rabbis would cover their head as a sign of submission. Again, we're so cultural. Sometimes the culture outweighs the Christian in our lives. So he could care less about people doing religious activities. You ever been one of those kind of people that said, man, I got to get up and do my devotions? I got to do my devotions. I got to make sure I have my time with God. And it's just religion. You check it off so that you can make your conscience feel well, but you haven't met with God. But you, I I did religion today. I read a verse today to try to keep the devil away and wonder how five minutes later I'm cussing my wife out at the breakfast table. What happened? I didn't meet with God. God would rather we have two concentrated minutes of submission and worship than 25 minutes of religious activity with nothing going on but us patting ourselves on the back. I was with God this morning. No, you weren't. You were with yourself this morning. He don't care about that stuff. On the contrary, he expects his people to practice social justice and to stand up against injustice perpetrated against the poor and the powerless. Oh, yeah, that's what he expects. That's what he expects. God expects his people, like Spike Lee, to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do it the right way and do it for the right reasons. God expects his people to be involved in social justice causes. Hmm. Here we go. Now, I didn't grow up hearing this. The only social justice cause I heard at the institution that I went to in college was about abortion. And that's a great social justice cause to be involved in. And that, again, it it informs people on how to vote. But there are many other causes that people have that also inform them on how to vote and how to be upright citizens who contribute to society. And it's not just this one or not just that one. As we'll see, there are many causes that we as God's people should be involved in in the earth in order to make Christ known and to serve the poor and the disadvantaged. Remember Jesus' final message Matthew chapter 25, and he talks about when he comes back, and all his prophecies and parables are about his return, and he's talking about the virgins who didn't have the oil and all of that, and then he comes and he talks about taking care of the least of these. His last message in Matthew 25 is not about how to go to heaven, and that whole thing about I got to get a personal relationship Jesus, I got to make him mine. Well, well, that's part of our problem. We just make it personal and we don't recognize that we're a communal people. Because if it's personal and it doesn't impact, then man, do I really love God if I'm not loving my neighbor? It can't always be about me, this individualistic kind of thinking. He saved me unto something. Not just didn't save me to take me to heaven. He saved me and gave me gifts and gave me passions to make a difference until I get to heaven. And what he gave me may not be what he gave you. But man, I'm going to be involved. And in that parable, my friend Larry Warren likes to quote that parable. And Jesus talks about man giving food to the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, giving clothes to the naked, helping the stranger or the alien in our midst, someone who's not Hebrew or someone who is not American or American. (laughs) Helping the sick and helping those who are imprisoned. Whether or not they got in prison justly or they got in prison unjustly, because you know it happens, right? And not everyone who goes to prison did what they were accused of doing. But a lot of them did. But God doesn't put a qualifier on ministering to people in prison. Whether they did it or didn't do it, you minister to them. Whether the person is sick because of sin or because they're just living in a fallen body and a fallen world, you minister to them. We don't qualify the people that we minister to. So if it's a gay dude that's sick, you go minister to the gay dude that's sick. Oh, oh it's over now, it's over now. <laughs> Turn in your license, man. He told me to love my neighbor. Oh, I'm pastor, I'm oh, pastor. They're gonna know that we're your disciples by the doctrine that we hold, Mm. by the love that we show. First up in here. Hey, he's doing the work. So Larry would say, how does your life intentionally intersect with those categories? Are you around hungry people? Are you trying to help thirsty folks, naked people, strangers, those who are sick, those who are in prison? If our lives don't somehow intersect, touch, help, empower, encourage, uplift, reach out to in the name of Jesus, people like that, then we need to wonder, are we really sheep or are we like the goats? Oh, I don't have time. You go ahead and check that out because in James, he talks about, people talk about they have faith, mm-hmm. but if you really have faith, it'll be seen in what you do. Then he goes on in James 1:27 and to say, pure religion, you want religion? It's to visit widows and orphans in their distress. Oh my God, okay. I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back next week and, and get some more though. What is your social justice call, Strong Tower? What's that thing he's called you to be about in the earth until you go to heaven? Who and what are you burdened for? What people group are you burdened for? Who are you called to serve? And it may be in a foreign nation, or it may be here in our own backyard. Who, who are you called to serve, to empower, to help? What makes you weep when you see the news or you hear something that happened around the world? What, what makes you weep? What breaks your heart? What moves you to action? What makes your blood boil with righteous indignation when you hear again that a certain particular people group have been oppressed? Oppressed? What makes you, oh, I'm going to turn a table over and do something? Well, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a proponent of justice. Because the Spirit is conforming me into the image of Christ. And when Christ came, the Spirit anointed him to set at liberty the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted to preach the gospel to the poor. So if I am being conformed to his image and the same spirit that raised him up is on me as a believer, Romans chapter eight, then I should be concerning myself with the oppressed, with those who are enslaved, those who are captive in society, those who are oppressed. There should be something in my Christian walk That causes me to be a person of justice. Why? The book of Proverbs says that righteous, the righteous care about justice for the poor. Because it's the poor, James chapter 5, who primarily get exploited in jail and in prison and in the law, places of law. They've been having this OJ 30 for 30 thing on and basically the bottom line, OJ said, if I was just some ordinary person, I would have been charged with this crime but because he had wealth and he knew a lot of powerful people he was able to quote unquote get off in man's courts he he got off in man's courts and so it happens all the time people with power can put their hand on the scale people with money people who know folk whereas the people who don't have money the people who don't know people they're victims many times of the rich and the powerful but if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to be a proponent of justice. It might be for the unborn. It might be for the poor born. It might be for those who need to be adopted, those with special needs. I may be a proponent of justice for the illiterate, the homeless. I know a man right now who's been sleeping on the steps of the Supreme Court of the United States in Washington, D.C. in order to overturn the death penalty. And this is his thing. I know another man whose thing is to call out these uh, payday loan institutions. That's his thing and how they prey upon the poor. You don't see those kinds of places hanging out. Let's see here. Give me one of them rich gated neighborhoods. You don't see them out there, but you always see them at the foot of the low income community because their goal is to enslave the people. With high interest. The Bible talks about this. Amen. And so if we're going to do the diverse kingdom, which is explaining, we need to go and talk to people about how these predatory lenders are here to keep you enslaved. Man, some of us are still paying on a toaster. That toaster ain't worth no 500 dollars. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I went to buy a car one day in cash from one of these places in our neighborhood, and they wouldn't sell us the car because the way they operate is through interest and through payment. They would not sell us a car with cash. I just said, Lord, that is wrong. But then what am I going to do about it? What am I called to do? Some of us are called to stand up against the judicial system when things are done in an unjust manner. Some of us go around the world to make sure people have clean water. Some of us deal with housing here to help the homeless, medical assistance, victims of racism, political corruption. Your thing may be dealing with zoning and how people who sit in places of power zone schools and communities. Back in the day, it was called redlining, where they kept black people and other minorities within this red circle you had to stay there even if you had the means to live over here they would not let you live oh they, you were confound to the red circle and we wonder why we have inner cities and things like that that wasn't by accident and so we've got to understand historically man what is going on and some of us are called to confront these things then some of us will help the persecuted church Those who are in extreme poverty, those who are dealing with gender equality, educational reform, the elderly. It goes on and on and on. But Strong Tower, listen to this, and I'm going to sit down. The problem comes when we try to make everybody have the same justice cause, okay? Just because this is your passion and you love to do this doesn't mean that's what God called everybody to do and be about. So you've got to have enough grace to recognize that there's a lot of needs out here and that just because this is in front of you all day long doesn't mean it's going to be in front of me all day long. So have grace for me because I'm excited to to do what God's called me to do. And I'm not going to try to guilt trip you if you don't do what I do or see it the way I see it. Oh, man, can we agree to disagree in an agreeable fashion? Can we accept one another's burdens? So, in the coming weeks, we're going to be asking this question man, what are you burdened about? Who are you called to help? What are you called to do? So that our Christianity just doesn't remain something that we do on Sundays, religious activity. But God wants us to do justice and not wait on somebody else to do it. So, we're going to expose ourselves to various things, uncomfortable information. We're going to pray together. We're going to study together Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. We're going to get clarity. Because my wife and I started noticing. Because it's easy to talk about, man, the people who've left the church. And we do grieve about that. We don't want anybody to leave. But people are here for a reason and for a season. They all belong to God anyway. They don't belong to Strong Tower. They belong to the king and the kingdom of God. Yeah. But we also noticed that God started bringing in a bunch of people to our church who are connected to various social causes and interests. And so rather than trying to ask God to bless what I'm doing, I said, what is God doing? And I need to go over here where he's blessing what he's doing. And he keeps bringing people into our body who have a heart for uh, uh, those who are impoverished and those with special needs. He, he's bringing in people who care about the educational system and, 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 and making it right. I'm, I'm watching what he's doing. I'm like, oh, he, he's up to something. And so for these next years of Strong Tower, I don't really, I've never cared about let's just assemble and have a good time. No, let's assemble. Look, what do you want us to do Individually and collectively. And I thank God that we've been able for two full years to make a difference at this school down the street, to help change the graduation ratio, especially amongst the minority community, because you've tutored, you've gone into the classrooms, you've gone into the cafeterias, you've walked the halls with the principal, you've tried to make a difference, and a difference is being made right down the street. So, amen, amen. So as Richard and everyone comes back, Micah prophesied against Israel's corrupt leaders and he prophesied the birth of the greatest leader of all because we got to keep this in mind that yeah, he, he, he preached hard against the corrupt leaders but he also called us to look forward to the greatest leader to ever come. And in Micah chapter five, verse two, he says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, because there were two Bethlehems, and this is the smallest one. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, prophesy, Micah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. He prophesied the birth of the Messiah, The one on whose shoulders the government will rest. The one who will take care of the sheep and clothe and feed and cover and house. So yes, we're called to be about social justice. Lord, show us what. Show us who. Show us how. Some of us are already involved. Help those of us who are not. But above all, our eyes are on Jesus. He's the ultimate change agent he's the one that we're waiting for ultimately to fix this thing as he fixes us so I join the hymn writer who wrote this for Christmas but we're about to have Christmas in July it says truly he the Messiah taught us to love one another is that true his law is love And his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. For the slave is our brother. That's radical. People didn't want to hear that in the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s. But when someone is operating under the unction of the prophetic gifting, I'm going to say what you need to hear, even if it ain't what you want to hear, because it's God's word and the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Not in the name of the government. Not in the name of the school system. Not in the name of the Supreme Court of the United States. Not in the name of Congress. Not even in the name of the church. But it's in his name that all oppression will cease. But until he comes, I'm going to operate in his name against oppression show this church, show me Lord what you would have me to be about because Lord these are people who are hurting and these are people who need to know of the gospel of peace stand with me as we make this song our meditation Christmas in July it's always a good time to talk about the birth of Jesus make this your prayer make this your prayer Father God, we thank you that Jesus was born so that we could be born again. So that we could be forgiven because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. We thank you that he did not shrink back from his assignment. He endured the cross and he despised the shame and he is sitting down at your right hand soon to return. And as your bride, Jesus, we say, come quickly, come quickly. But until you come, may you find us faithful, may you find us obedient, may you find us willing to stand in the gap in our communities, in this nation, around the world. Might you find us to be advocates of social justice, to stand up for those who can't stand for themselves. Would you teach us, because this is going to be challenging. But Lord, you didn't call us to a life of comfort. You called us to carry a cross. And sometimes, Lord, that's difficult. We have all eternity to study war no more. We have all eternity to be with you. But Lord, until then, this is war. And you tell us to endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. You've called us to go behind enemy lines to unlock the gates of hell and set the captives free. Would you show this church what our assignments are, how we can be intentional. I thank you for my buddy, Chris, who pastors the Nashville Family Church in Franklin. And their mission is to make sure that no one in Franklin goes to bed hungry. And I thank you for all of the work that they do to make sure people have food to eat. I thank you, Lord, for nations in Africa who make sure that there are wells that pump clean water to make sure that your people Don't have to bathe in water full of parasites and other diseases. Thank you, Lord, for those who stand up against sex trafficking. Thank you, Lord, for those who are called to help those who are incarcerated, and even to stand up against this unjust prison system. Show us collectively, but also show each of us individually. I thank you for those, Lord, who've traveled to other nations to adopt children, to educate others on adoption to not just preach against abortion, but to encourage adoption. I thank you, Lord, for those who counsel the family to try to keep families together because if the family falls apart, society falls apart. And that is a justice cause to stand up for the family the way you designed it, to teach husbands how to love wives and wives how to love husbands and how to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Thank you for our counselors, our school teachers, for our doctors, Our our lawyers, our teachers, thank you. And as we go here today, may we have a good time talking about Micah. May we have a good time reading Micah with new lenses. Baptize this body afresh, O God. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it is according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said. Amen, amen. Put a hug on about four people before you leave. You can't leave till you hug about four people.